You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's predictions time. We're only now just a month away from the NBA season, and I think training camp opens up in a week or two. So today I'm going to have a special guest on, and together we are going to make our early preseason predictions for the two all-rookie teams this upcoming season. You are locked on the NBA draft. As always, I am your host. My name is Sam Ferris. As I alluded to at the top, I'm going to be having a special guest on today, and we're going to go through and make our 10 predictions for this year's all-rookie teams. And we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the history of the award and what we looked at to make our predictions. And so this is going to be fun, and we're going to have a fun time keeping track of this throughout the season and then revisiting at the end to see how we did. But first, this episode is brought to you by Wednesdays on the Lockdown NBA. It's small market meets big market. Wednesdays on the Lockdown NBA podcast. Join Jake Madison of the Lockdown Pels podcast and John Corrales of Lockdown Celtics for a look at the NBA week from all angles. Follow the Lockdown NBA podcast today on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's bring in the guest. I am very excited today. We've got both a fun topic, but even more importantly, we've got an awesome guest who hosts his own podcast that I would recommend to everyone that follows both the NBA and the NBA draft. It is the Chucking Darts podcast. And as such, I've got Chuck from the Chucking Darts podcast today on the episode to join me. Uh, Chuck, how's it going for you this afternoon? Oh, it's going great, uh, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. Uh you were uh, kind enough to guest on my podcast for a fun two-part episode recently, and I love to come back and uh, do the favors for you on a very fun topic that we got going today. So it's great. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing doing really well. Um, enjoying my last week of paternity leave before I go back to work. Uh, but uh, like Chuck hinted at, if you haven't listened to his podcast, I would recommend it. I went on and we did a really fun topic where we ranked everybody from the last three draft class draft classes. So it was a big two parter and a lot of fun. And now today on my show, what we're going to do is we're doing some early predictions for all rookie teams. And so to lay the groundwork here, for those of you that don't remember there, there are two all rookie teams every year. And unlike all NBA, there are no positional boundaries. You can just, it ends up just being the five best guys make the first team and the next five guys make the second team. Uh, But let's talk a little bit, Chuck, about what we thought, what we incorporated when coming up with our list before we actually get into the picks. So what are maybe one or two things that you thought about when creating your lists here? Uh, Well, First and foremost, um, all rookie teams are great. They are the most fun award to try to predict and track, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, you and I are both such huge draft guys and we love following the arcs of these players getting into the league and everything else, I'm sure, as your listenership appreciates. 
And for all rookie, though, you know, my impression, at least, is that it's not um, it is sort of low key, kind of a glitzy award. Um, It's big on counting stats. It's big on uh, players who get a lot of minutes and who are sort of the biggest sort of the biggest narrative names um, of a given season. That at least is my impression of how it's gone. Um, And so at a certain level, um, it's just trying to see what rookies are going to have a lot of opportunity, taking into account their context, not necessarily thinking, you know, who do you think is going to be the best player five years from now, 10 years from now. So it was really more digging down, looking into the situations that each rookie had and seeing uh, who's going to get a chance to play and really contribute. And that it's a it's a much more complicated discussion uh, than that, obviously. But at a certain level, that's that's where I started. What about you? Yep, I was right there with you. Like you said, that's a good that's a good claim to kind of start out here is that these these teams that we're predicting, this is not our projection of these guys down the line. This is just our prediction of which guys are going to win that award. And so when I think about just for fun making these predictions, there are mainly three things that I look at. Number one would be, can this rookie come in and put up stats right away? Because like you said, kind of similar to sixth man of the year, counting stats matter a lot to these voters for this award. And then number two, I look at playing time. Like, who do I think is going to be able to come in? Who's going to get minutes right away? Uh, because you need minutes to put up numbers. And then the third one is, you know, which guys are ready to come in and ready to contribute right away. And this is different because if you listen to me specifically talk about the draft, I tend to rank guys that are a bit older, a bit lower on my personal draft boards. I do value younger guys in the draft just because of their development arc in the future. Obviously, younger guys have a longer time to develop. But when we're just looking at this award, if a guy is 23, 24, like a Chris Duarte or a Davion Mitchell or a Kispert, those guys are generally just more ready to come in and contribute and put up numbers right away. Um, So those are kind of the three main things that I look at. Uh, Anything else there, Chuck, that you want to mention before we move on? Uh, yeah, just piggybacking off of that, just a little example mm-hmm. of uh, how this can differ from the draft work that we normally do. So I, I we haven't seen each other's lists. I don't know where you're going with yours uh, and likewise. But, for example, Jalen Johnson, you know, he yeah. goes to the Atlanta Hawks at pick 20. You and I both uh, are quite high on him. And I were among the higher analysts on him going into the draft are still very high on him. And in our episode, we had him as a top, you know, 20 prospect in the last three drafts combined, but I don't have him on my first or second team um, just because playing time really matters, man. And he's on a very, very, very deep team. So. Okay, perfect. So that's a great segue. You talked about the history of these awards Both you and I have gone in and kind of looked back over the history to kind of prepare and study a bit for this episode. So, Chuck, tell me if you kind of disagree, but the feeling that I got looking back over history at these teams, again, there are 10 guys every year that make these two teams. 
I would say that on average, I'd say again, on average, about five to six guys that are a part of that all rookie team end up being a top 10 guy in the class when all is said and done, you know, when you look down towards the end of their careers. So I would say probably 50 to 60% of the guys that, are, that do win this award of being an all rookie guy end up being a top 10 guy in the class. Is that kind of the similar feel that you got looking back over at these lists or am I off there? Well, I don't think you're off. I think that um, you probably, you, you probably crunched that percentage and I did not. I mean, I was yeah. more give, just looking for general trends, but okay. I think, um, I think that, these players usually come in two categories. One category are guys who look like they can, um, you know, claim some real usage of a team's playmaking. You know, guys who are, you know, to, to, an example, you know, Luka Doncic, obviously, and Trey Young in, in 2018, both made first team all rookie because they look like they were going to run their team's offense. And for the purposes of this award, at the end of the year, voters are pretty forgiving if they're, you know, inefficient or if they haven't really mastered that role yet. If they get the usage, then they end up on the team. And frequently those players who have the talent to even get the opportunity to run a team their rookie year end up improving a great deal, you know, later on. They usually are a high pick if they've been entrusted with that sort of responsibility. And they end up as a top 10 guy in the class. The other type of player generally who wins this award, and you mentioned, you know, players who are older being a bit more of a priority, are guys who can sort of come in and be a role player right away. Um, Desmond Bain would be an example last year of, of a guy who did that and someone who I think both of us were higher on than where he went at pick 30. But um, a guy who could already shoot and shooting's always going to matter with stuff like this because shooting keeps you on the court and gives you more minutes, but not necessarily a guy who is going to have that sort of enough responsibility to become a real NBA star. Might be a solid uh, NBA player for a long time, but that gives them more volatility in terms of being a top 10 player in their class. Because there are lots of role players uh, in the league that come from all sorts of drafts. And when you start to order them relative to their draft year, someone like Bain, you know, maybe he ends up the eighth best player from the 2020 draft class. Maybe he ends up the, the 16th or the 19th or something like that. Yeah, that's a great point. And we're going to talk about both of those groups of guys as we go through the list for this year in terms of our predictions. Um, final thought for me here, just kind of looking back at the history of this award, Chuck, I personally picked one or two kind of sleeper picks. Uh, I have one guy from the second round because, you know, when you go back and look at the history again, there generally is a guy at least outside of the top 20, but usually outside of the first round who does end up making one of these two teams. See if you remember all these guys making the teams. So last year, obviously, we remember Jay Sean Tate was kind of maybe one of the surprises. In 2019, Eric Paschal, Kendrick Nunn, and Terrence Davis all made these teams. Mitchell Robinson, Bogdanovich, and Kuzma. And then those guys kind of came out of nowhere. But 2016 was the weird one. That's where my memory starts to get a little fuzzy. 
Yogi Ferrell made the team. I kind of forgot about that. And Willie Hernan Gomez made it too. So yeah, some of these guys do make it out of the second round. That's kind of why I included a guy in the second round this time. All right, let's get into the guys that we picked and we can kind of discuss as we go. I imagine that we'll have plenty of guys, at least in the first team that overlap. Um, And if we do, then the other person can just say they also had them and we'll discuss. And if we have guys that differ, then we can kind of give our point of view there. So let's do one guy here to start out from the first team. And Chuck, because you were the guest, I'll let you go first. So who do you want to start with from your list? Uh, there's no need in getting fancy here. We can yeah. just start with uh, with Mr. Cunningham, number yeah. one, uh, with the Pistons. And he, we've been sort of dancing around, you know, talking about the profile of yeah. these guys. But he fits every conceivable kind of profile because he's going to run their offense from day one. Um, he was the number one pick in the drafts. So you would certainly hope that he'd be one of the ten best rookies at the end of the at the end of the year. And he can shoot, which means that if he plays off the ball for whatever reason, if he plays, if Killian Hayes gets some more usage or, you know, Jeremy Grant is getting more on ball usage down the stretch in games and he's spotting up and shooting, that he should be able to contribute in that way, too. I mean, that's to say nothing of his defense and everything else, but a guy like Cade who can make plays for others and already has sort of the narrative momentum behind him going into the year and who is already so polished, he might have his hiccups and his struggles, but he, I fully expect him to lock his minutes in, lock his production in, and be one of the five uh, best rookies at the end of the year. So I got him on my first team. Yeah, and you made a good point with like the narrative momentum that we hadn't brought up yet. But for these guys that go at the top, their household names, if they even put up numbers throughout the year, they're they're a lock to make these teams. And when you run down the checklist with Cade, playing time, check. He's going to start. He's going to get plenty of minutes. In terms of usage or stats, he's going to have the ball in his hand. And like you said, he can shoot really well, too, like we saw in the Summer League and at Oklahoma State. So not a worry there. And I think he's going to put up points, assists, and rebounds. So he's going to pile up just the counting stats as well, apart from the defense that he also brings. So I think he, to me— He was my biggest lock for sure. All right. So coming up after the break, we'll finish going through our predictions for the first team all rookie. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live and another that lets you stream your favorite shows. And then maybe you have another for Netflix or Hulu or however you watch your shows. Well, we all just tend to have so many different devices that we use, so many different streaming services. It's just a bit of a clutter. And so now, thankfully, we've got Direct TV Stream, and it lets you bring your live TV and your on-demand favorite places together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. Again, it's called Direct TV Stream, and you can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. All right, so we we picked Cade as kind of our first lock, and then the guy I have next is Jalen Green. I'm sure, did you have him as well, Chuck, in your first team? Yes, I did. Okay, so similar to Cade, 
he's going to start. He's going to get, I think he's going to put up the numbers and he certainly has the name brand recognition. Um, in terms of the usage though, do you see any worry? Because, you know, sometimes we do forget they still do have John Wall. They do have Kevin Porter Jr. How much usage and how much, just how many counting stats do you think he's going to put up? Is that any type of a worry to you at all? Uh, I mean, I'll, I guess a little bit uh, because in Wall and in in Porter Jr., they have guys who are going to want to shoot. But the Rockets, their draft was so um, – it was such a declaration of where they were as an organization and the investments that they want to make, uh, not only in taking Jalen Green, but – Four first-round picks, including um, two overseas players that they are both bringing over now. I mean, they paid a hefty fee to bring Usman Garuba over, and you don't pay that kind of fee if you're not going to play that player. And so I think all of their rookies are going to get a lot of time, and I think if push comes to shove and Jalen Green isn't getting the touches that the organization envisioned him getting— that it's more likely that they will be very aggressive in moving veterans and they will move pieces around to make sure that their rookies get some featured time. Some obviously will spend time in the G League, but Jalen Green is the number two overall pick. When you talk about team building strategy, if you have a number two overall pick, he should become the number one priority in your organization. And I assume that the the Rockets have certainly haven't sent any message to the contrary. So at most, I think he'll end up splitting a lot of reps uh, with Porter Jr. Um, But Wall, you know, I think you might see a sort of knee sprain and Wall's kind of out for a couple months sort of thing where they let him take his time on his rehab. Obviously not predicting or hoping for injury or anything that way, but I just mean that they're not going to push any veterans to make sure they're on the court every night. It's, it's more likely that they're going to yeah. push to make sure their young guys get time. So no, I'm, if, I'm not too worried about yeah. that. Even if it's just two games and three nights, like John Wall's probably sitting out one of those games, you would think as well. Like you said, they're not going to push any of those guys. They're not going to make, I mean, it'd be a long shot for them to make the playoffs this year. But yeah, I, ha- I had Cade and Jalen neck and neck coming into the draft. And now I slightly prefer Jalen to Cade. But those are the top two guys to me, and I think they're going to prove that this year. And then just the final thought with Jalen Green is, in terms of the narrative, he's going to be a highlight reel. He's going to be on SportsCenter. He's going to be on Twitter. And so just people are going to fall in love with those highlights. He has the name brand recognition. I think he's a lock to make one of these two teams. Um, Okay, to pass it back to you now, Chuck, we got the two obvious guys out of the way. Uh, who are you going to go with next? Uh, well, okay, I'll go off. Uh, I'll go off the beaten path a little. It's not going to be off the beaten path for me and people uh-huh. who are familiar with my podcast. Uh, but I'm going to go with Trey Murphy the third on the New Orleans Pelicans, and I uh, his case. First of all, the minutes case. Um, he's six nine. He plays on the wing, and he is one of the very best shooters in the draft if not the very best, but I won't, I won't get too spicy here. It's my first time on the podcast. I want to be yep. invited back. Um, <laughs> so with Zion and Brandon Ingram there, um, it might seem like there's lots of minutes on the wing getting gobbled up, but 
the beauty of a player like Murphy, who is also 21, who is already a very sound defender. Um, but that shooting talent and that defensive ability means that he can play in lineups alongside stars very seamlessly. And at the end of the year, when you look at these teams, we mentioned that those kind of guys, you know, I mentioned Desmond Bain last year. I I think that you know Murphy is a better prospect than Bain was, and he um, is going to just be, he'll be playing in fourth quarters for a competitive team. But if he is a starter, which is what I expect him to be, certainly by the end of the year, if not by the very beginning of the year, um, and they're doing well in the Western Conference, then that gets a lot of love at the end of the season. Um, I think that there is a star path for Trey Murphy the third, but that that will lead me down a tangent where I'm <laughs> going to be talking for another 40 minutes. So yeah. I'm just going to leave that there and just yeah. say I expect him to shoot well, play defense, uh, and start on the wing. And I think that that's a very good recipe for getting selected. Yeah, calling your shot with the star path. I, I like that. You had him fifth, right, on, I think, on your board coming into the draft? I did. Right? Yep. I did indeed, yep. All right, so to follow up on your point, because I was thinking about this too, like, first of all, how much does he play, but also is there a chance he does start? Because if you look at, so Zion obviously starting, Ingram is starting, I would think Devontae Graham is the starting point guard, and then I would assume Valanchunas probably starts at center too. So the fifth spot to me is kind of open for grabs. Uh, do you think he's going to start some games this year? I do. I do. And I'm not, um, you know, they have Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis Jr. I'm very high on Kyra. Uh, so I don't know whether Devontae is going to really end up starting that okay. many games for them. Um, I think Valanchunas, Zion, and Brandon Ingram are, are basically locks in the lineup. And then it's just, you know, those three are going to sop up a lot of offensive possessions. And so it's just who do you want to surround that offense with. And it may seem a little funky. It might mean that you're starting Trey Murphy or Brandon Ingram sort of at the two and they, you know, yeah. either one would be a, a very jumbo two. Yeah. But at the end of the day, a, a wing who can shoot and who can hold his own on defense against multiple positions, those guys just find their way into the starting lineup, you know, by hook or by crook. And that's part of the reason why I was so high on him, because I thought that wherever he went, he would provide such a valuable skill set at such a valuable size and position that it'd be hard to keep him out of the starting lineup. And so while it may seem a little odd, I, I ultimately don't see um, the Pelicans making a ton of accommodations for, for instance, Devontae Graham, who's a good player, got paid good for him, but who can't really defend at an NBA level, certainly not night in, night out in the Western Conference. I just think you need to try to do what accommodates Zion and Ingram and Valanciunas best. And I think that Murphy probably does that on that team. So I actually, I had Trey Murphy as my last pick for my second team. So I did have him on there. And like yeah. you said, the path for him is kind of the Desmond Bain path from last year, right? So. Yes. Yes. Very similar. I'm just, I, I take that as a W. Any crazy <laughs> love is yep. a W for me. All right. So he is one of your guys. We'll go to one of my guys. This is a little bit more chalk. Jalen Suggs. Um, yeah. He, he plays for the magic now again to go down the checklist. I think he starts. 
they do have a bunch of young, talented guards in Cole Anthony, RJ, Markel Fultz, etc. But to me, Jalen Suggs is unquestionably the best prospect out of those guys. And I think the Magic share that that sentiment with me. I think he's going to start. I think he'll have the ball in his hands plenty. And I think he's going to be able to put up numbers. That was kind of the third easiest pick for me. Do you, yeah, do you, do you see any issue with having a bunch of those other kind of young, talented guards? Or are you with me that you kind of view Suggs uh, above the rest of those guys? Uh, I'm more concerned on this one than I was on Jalen Green. Um, But ultimately not too, too concerned to drop him off the first team because I also had uh, Jalen Suggs on my first team. So because Cole, you know, he is a fearless guy and he's a competitor and his best NBA attribute is his shot. And he, he knows that he's on the court more or less to shoot. Yep. And so that could eat into some of Jalen Suggs time and RJ Hampton, who I'm higher on than Cole, who I like a lot. Yep. Me too. Um, good player, a very hard worker, explosive driver. Um, but the shot, you know, that's his main question. And if you are sort of an inefficient shooter, that is the quickest way to sort of lose minutes, even on a young team. And, you know, the same principle kind of applies. Suggs was the fourth overall pick. That's a, a much higher pick than either Cole or RJ were. Um, he's the highest pick I believe the Magic have had in some time. And so I think at the end of the day, they will build around him as long as he earns it. And Jalen, not only I think is a more talented prospect than uh, Cole or RJ, but in terms of every sort of intangible about him, you know, believing in himself and believing he can run that offense and, or at least, you know, run a lot of pick and roll and and be on the court in fourth quarters and really impact that offense. I think Jalen has all of that. I mean, that's not a controversial opinion. So uh, yeah, I think that I, I, I could see his like stat line at the end of the year being lots of different things um, because of this scenario, but I do think that he will impact the game uh, a lot. What, what do you think his sort of stats at the end of the year look like? Yeah, that's a good question because I think I tweeted this out earlier that to me, I actually think I like his value in terms of betting for rookie of the year the best. I think he has like plus 650. He has like fifth or sixth best odds. And I, yeah, I mean, I like him more than most as just a player and prospect moving forward. But in terms of the numbers, it is interesting because Yeah, I agree with you that I'm lower than most on Cole Anthony, but Cole Anthony definitely believes in himself and he's going to want the ball. Like he's going to be taking shots when he's out there for sure. So I I do think he and RJ Hampton will take some of that usage. If I had to predict a just raw stat line, I would say probably like 14 points, four rebounds, five assists. Does that sound about right? Is that too I mean, high? That, that sound that sounds like a rookie of the year to me. 14, 14 4, four and five. five. I mean, that's that's I think Lamella was yeah. What like was Lamella sixteen was? and six? I want to say six assists. I don't remember what his rebounding numbers. Yeah, were. let me pull it up. But I think he was in that ballpark. Maybe sixteen is a little high for what he scored. But yeah, he scored sixteen, six and six exactly. There you go, sixteen, six and six. And he was. Yep. I mean, I I think last year's rookie class is underrated, but. 
Um, that I think is a very worthy rookie of the year stat yeah. line. So I think if Suggs does that, then I think, you know, plus 650 yeah. likely cashes in. Yep. Anthony Edwards, 19, five and three though. So I guess it will come down to what you believe the stat lines of Cade and Jalen will be, but yeah, I'll go on the record. What did I say? 14, five and four. I think that's reasonable. You sound like you'd be a bit lower, but that's kind of where I'm at. It's yeah. It's the, um, yeah, I don't know. It, that might be right. I, Someone's going to have to score for that Magic team. Though, exactly. I, I think the 14 would be a little bit higher than where I would project his points this first yeah. year. Not because he doesn't have the talent to do it, but just because lots of mouths to feed. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, who knows when Fultz is coming back for that team or when he'll be That's healthy. True. But he obviously yeah. is going to claim a lot there, too. So we'll see. I think five yeah. and four, very possible. But maybe I would say like 10 or 11, five and okay. four close to what I'd say. Sounds good. I'm going to write that one down and we're going to revisit that at the end of the year. So that'll be fun. Great. A little thing to keep track of makes it makes, you know, following the games even more fun. Um, Let's pass it back to you though. Who do you have next on your list? We've named everyone on my first team so far. So the last one I'm going to name in some ways, a surprise in other ways, not so much of a surprise is uh, Chris Duarte. For the Indiana Pacers, yep. he is the last guy for my very first team, and the yep. the um, theory is much is similar to the one I have for Trey Murphy. You know, Duarte is another one of the very best shooters in the class, at least in my opinion, and that certainly is what is his best NBA skill. You know, this is a guy who shot as a as a perimeter player on the wing at the University of Oregon, sixty three percent from two. And I believe 44% from three, uh, just an incredible year shooting the ball. And he can shoot it off the dribble. He can uh, shoot it, you know, relocating off of picks. He is very well conditioned as sort of a a tireless uh, player. And he plays on both sides of the ball. You know, I think that I was a bit lower on him. I didn't have him as a lot of level player and he went 13th, but And that has to do with, you know, the big thing with him is that he was 23 all this year as a senior at Oregon, and he did sort of dominate in the way that you would hope an older player would. I think that his uh, lateral athleticism, taking guys off the dribble, wasn't great. I think that his passing wasn't great. But at the NBA level, chances are, as a rookie, you're going to walk onto a team and there's going to be guys who can pass the ball and who can sop up some of that playmaking. What Duarte is going to need to do to earn minutes is shoot, play sound defense, um, and basically be a player on the wing because they are always in demand. And in Indiana, you know, Rick Carlisle is not known for playing a ton of rookies. He likes playing guys who can already play basketball well. And Duarte's both. He is a rookie, but he can already play basketball well. And it was no real secret that um, that's why they took him, because they plan on competing in the East. They don't want to be a playing team or miss the playoffs again. They view Duarte as a really important part of their core. And I think it came out that, you know, T.J. Warren's recovery from, I believe, a stress fracture is going uh, more slowly than anticipated. And that's one less shooter and scorer on the wing. And so 
Duarte, like Murphy, can fit in lots of different kinds of lineups. And with Brogdon and Karis LeVert, Sabonis and Miles Turner, they need some supplementary shooting around that core if they're going to compete and get where they're going to go. And so I could see Duarte starting on that team before too long. I mean, that team has some depth, but Duarte is a priority for them. And if like if this shooting is real, if he is like one of the three best shooters in the draft, because his senior year shooting kind of came out of nowhere a little Mm -hmm. bit. But if it's real and he is that level of player, then he's a starter in the NBA his rookie year and for the next 10 years. So. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be that successful, but I think um, there's a very good chance that Indiana is back in the playoffs, that Carlisle really gives them a boost. And if Duarte is a big part of that, he will get rewarded at the end of the year. So that's why I've got him here. Yep. He's on my first team as well. So we were in lockstep there. You made a lot of really good points. And I, I also had him just on my personal board in the 20s going into the draft. And frankly, I, I think that's too low now. And I'm kind of mad at myself because I loved him uh, the year before last as a returning prospect. But just being 23, 24 years old scared me off a little bit. I, I do think he's going to end up being a top 15 at least player from this class. Mm. And I, I loved your point with kind of the shooting came a little out of nowhere And I think it's underrated how well he shot the ball last year. If you actually look at the numbers, he shot the ball as well as basically anyone in the country last year. And people think of Kisper as the premier shooter in the draft. Duarte shot the ball better on catch and shoots and on pull-ups last year than Corey Kisper. Yeah. Duarte is a completely bonker. I mean, and I know that you're a Gonzaga guy, so it is clear that for you to say that Kispert's better, or pardon me, that Duarte's better, that you're coming by that honestly. But I agreed. And I pushed this same thing when I, you know, had Trey Murphy over Corey Kispert. Nothing really against Kispert, but I just think that Duarte and Murphy are better shooters, more diverse um, and, you know, more dangerous and more seamlessly fitting into an NBA offense. I think Kispert's fine. Um, but those two are real good. Yep. A guy that will probably shoot 40% at some point Mm. in his career from three, but also can be fantastic attacking closeouts, whether it's just making the open pass or hitting the pull-up jumper. He's just more diverse than just kind of your average spot up shooter in the NBA. And so, yeah, I think he can start year one. I don't know if he will for the Pacers, but to your point, Yeah, TJ Warren's going to miss some time, and that's something that I did look at because you could argue that the Pacers do have good depth. But look, like you said, the Pacers don't take him 14th if they're at a 24-year-old 14th if they're not going to play him. And so Mm -hmm. that's that's where I have him, too. Uh, We're going to get into a break now, and then we'll do my final guy of the first team, and then we'll do the rest of our second team coming up. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. If you've listened to my show before, you'll know that generally I'm not a guy that's like to eat Built Bar or protein bars, excuse me, in the past other than Built Bars because I generally don't like the taste. But that's why I love Built Bars. They have, number one, they're 100% covered in chocolate, which I love, but they have so many different flavors. 
whether you're a chocolate guy, a berry guy, they've got mint brownie, raspberry, salted caramel, strawberry, cookies and cream, and more. And on top of tasting so good, they're also healthy as well. Only 17 to 18 grams of protein and 4 to 5 grams of sugar and net carbs. They can help you maintain or lose weight, and they just taste really good. So because you're listening to my show, you can go to built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are now on the gridiron as both the NFL and college football are back to start another season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. They've got a new updated site and interface with even more odds, props, and contests. Go to betonline.ag. That continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. From football to basketball, boxing, even down to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for this upcoming season. Bet online. The fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so let's get back into this now. And uh, I think your whole first team is done now, right, Chuck? That's right. And it, it is a beautiful team, Sam. It is it all is. the way locked in. <laughs> yep. All right, so the final guy for me is Josh Giddy, who I have. He was the fifth guy that I had as kind of my pick for that first team. Where did you have him? Did you have him on one of your teams, first of all? Uh, yes, I'd, I had him basically sixth. I had okay. him as the number one guy on my second team. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, we've been pretty close so far. So the main thing with, with Giddy here, and I was higher than the consensus on him, I had him as pretty clearly my fifth-ranked prospect coming into the draft. But it's just the opportunity that he's going to get with OKC. The Thunder roster right now is basically just everyone besides SGA is kind of auditioning for their part. And they drafted him that high. They're going to give him the ball. He's going to play a lot. And so, yeah, the playing time, the usage on ball, I think he's going to put up enough numbers. And there's not too many other guys that I think OKC values above him. And so that's why I, I have him locked in there as the fifth guy on my list. Yeah. And you and I were also, um, we mentioned on Jalen Johnson earlier, we were both very high on Giddy. I had Giddy sixth on my draft board, you know, right where he got picked. Um, and what you say is right. I, you know, pre-draft, I talked about this with Giddy. So I'll just I'll repeat it here because it's a stat that when we talk about these sorts of awards, I think can't be repeated often enough. Um, but LaMelo Ball, you know, comes from the, the Australian League, same league that Giddy came from. They're different players, but they're both very young, tall uh, initiators you know, guys whose passing is their best skill. And I think going back to 2000, this was this is a stat I ran across when I was. Uh, going through my LaMelo evaluation in the 2020 draft cycle, but there are three players who, uh, as rookies younger than the age of 20, averaged uh, over four and a half assists a game on like any kind of usage. And that's it. They're just, oh, and who, pardon me, who are also six foot seven. 
Yeah. So if you are tall and you are young and you average just a few assists a game on some kind of usage as a rookie, uh, you would be joining the following group. LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Ben Simmons. End of list. Yeah. So yeah. that it just it just shows you that at some level um, that intersection means you're going to be successful in the NBA. And I think that Giddy, um, I thought LaMelo was certain to join that group because, you know, he would absolutely get the keys, whoever was drafting him. It was very clear about that. Giddy, I think, is I don't know that it, the, the Thunder would hand everything over to him. I still think the ball would probably be in SGA's hands more than his. Yeah. But I think he has a good chance of joining that group. And those all three of the play, all four of the players I named were first team all rookie in their year. So it certainly makes sense to include Giddy in this one. If if Giddy can handle the minutes and he handled them admirably in the Australian League, a very physical league last year, then, yeah, I think he's he's a very good bet. Very good bet to make first team this year. All right. Sounds good. Let's move now to the next guy that you have on your second team. Uh, the, I, I don't have um, after six. I don't have them really ranked as yeah. such, but I'll say on um, summer league, you know, one of the co MVPs of summer league, Davion Mitchell is on yeah. my list. Yeah. And it, this one might be tough because, the the whole criticism of that pick at number nine was him playing with Tyrese Halliburton and uh, De'Aaron Fox. And how are they going to play all three guys together? How are they going to prioritize this investment they just made in the draft? And Mitchell, um, are they going to trade for Ben Simmons? Is Ben Simmons going to acknowledge that Sacramento exists in California? All of these questions need to be answered. Um, <laughs> but yeah. at the end of the day, Davion is very good at what Davion does. And what he does is fight over screens and harass ball handlers, make things uncomfortable, keep his whole team engaged on defense. And he shoots pretty well on offense and he can penetrate and get into the paint. And those are all valuable NBA things. They're all translatable. Um, and they all tend to matter. They're all things that every team tends to only want more of. Um, to me, you know, for what it's worth, pre-draft, I had him as sort of a post-lottery grade. I had him sort of in the 15 to 25 range, just because I think he's more of a, frankly, a 15 to 25 minute player, being only six feet tall and not, you know, not having the playmaking vision of like a giddy or something like that. But um He's 22 years old. He has an NBA body. He made NBA players look shook up at Summer League guarding (laughs) them. And, like, teammates love him. He's a natural leader. He's going to find his way onto the court. And when he's there, you know, he's got the off-night thing. He's got momentum. He's a cool player. He's a—I don't want to cuss on here, but he he is a bad boy. So I I think that— one way or another, he's sort of irrepressible from one of these two teams. And I also think that he has a shot at first team as well. I just don't know if he gets the minutes. That's the only question. Yep. I had him basically as like my sixth guy as well. So basically the first pick for my second team, I agree with everything you said. I, even though defensive numbers don't really help you in these awards, I just think like 
him being that off night guy, just that reputation. And I think if he does actually help Sacramento's defense, which was like the worst in the NBA last year, he will get credit for that as well. So yeah. And he's got the name brand recognition. People just kind of gravitate towards him. Like you said, he's a, he's just the dude that you kind of want to have on your team. So he gets that respect. And so, yeah, I've got him slotted in pretty comfortably there as well. Um, Okay. I'll go to, my next guy, we, so far we've been seven for seven for at least having the same guys on the team. I'm going to go, this is where I go off the grid here. I have Jeremiah Robinson Earl as a guy on my second team. No, I love it. I had him probably, you know, honorable mention. I had yeah. JRE and sort of the honorable mention. Go ahead, man. Go for Yeah, it. so like I said, I wanted to pick kind of at least one deep sleeper from the second round. And again, it comes down to the opportunity for OKC. When you look at the guys that they were playing last year, I mean, they played guys that, frankly, were probably not as good, even as JRE will be next year. They're playing a lot of project guys. Like I said, everyone is auditioning for a spot on that team. And they traded up also in the second round, I think just a few spots to get him. So they definitely value him. I I don't, he's not going to start, but I do think he is in the rotation from day one. And so that's what you need to make this team. You need those minutes. I think he's going to put up some rebounds and some points. And so I think he is going to sneak on to the end of kind of the second team all rookie. Yeah, I, um, I think it's a good case. I could definitely see it. My um, and we should mention, I mean, he's a different prospect from Trey Murphy, but again, six, nine, intelligent defender on the wing can complement better players. Those guys do tend to get minutes. My only concern with JRE is, though, I think his shot will improve in two seasons at Villanova. It just it didn't go in quite as much as you'd like. Um, And that was both, you know, in regular play and from the line. And so it's just, you know, on a on a young team where lots of guys are getting opportunities, it, if someone else kind of pops shooting wise, in fact, yeah. maybe even his uh, teammate Aaron Wiggins, you know, that might be a pathway to some more minutes, which might threaten uh, JRE. So I think it, he does low key need to play pretty well, um, as all these guys do to sort of get consideration. But I could certainly yeah. see it happening for sure. Yeah. I mean, my point is, if you watch the Thunder the second half of the year, like they're playing, Baisley's playing 36 minutes. They're playing Deck. They're playing Josh Hall. They're playing uh, Mike Mescal, Isaiah Roby, mm-hmm. Kenrich Williams. Like JRE fits in that group. And so I think he's definitely going to get a shot. If they go into tank mode again, that's kind of that's kind of my hope here. And that's kind of my line of thinking for including him as kind of my sleeper. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Let's move on to your next guy, and you can kind of pick whoever you have left still on your list. Okay. I will go with uh, my my favorite prospect from this draft, which is Evan Mobley. This is part of me just having a ton of faith in Evan Mobley as a, as a talent, um, a seven-footer out of USC who um, – has guard skills who the Cavs are already playing from the perimeter in, which is where I believe he should play. Um, but the Cavs just traded for Laurie Markinen, who can only really play power forward. That's where Mobley was going to play. They have Jared Allen at center. And so those three are going to be 
in heavy rotate rotation. And I still think Mobley will get minutes and it he'll have a bit of an adjustment to the NBA because he won't quite be strong enough to bang in the post yet. But I, I cannot help thinking that when he gets together with one of your guys from our podcast, Darius Garland, who can yeah. really set him up and uh, get him the ball in favorable spots. And the Cavs did. He didn't have the best summer league shooting wise, but they did some interesting things in terms of setting off ball screens for him to get him the ball in areas of the court that he likes. While that that Laurie fit is a bit queasy, I, I can understand some some trepidation there. Laurie can shoot and shooting tends to help the offensive games of other players not hurt them. And so I don't, without getting too deep into it, I don't think that fit is disastrous for Mobley. And I think playing with a guard of Garland's caliber and a connector of Isaac Okoro's caliber, who I also like a lot, I think you will see his game really blossom. And I thought about putting him on the first team, but that I will confess that that fit made me bump him a little, but I just, I, I believe in him too much and I think he's too good. Um, And I think he's going to be the best player in this draft class. So I, uh, I'm not taking him off the second team. So, yeah. I think you just have him maybe a few spots higher than I do in terms of just these predictions. Um, I have I had him like ninth, so he did make my second team. I'm go. just I'm just I think this is kind of the Suggs thing, but maybe inverse here, where I'm a little more skeptical of the raw numbers that he's going to put up, just with the glut of bigs that they have, uh, like you talked about, um, but. Okay, the final guy on my list here now, I have Alperin Shengun. Did he mm-hmm. make your list? Uh, he was very close. Okay. Um, but anyway, no, he was um, he, uh, honorable mention. I'll, okay. And I'll just leave it there. But go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So with him, the numbers will come very easily if he plays. Like, he's going to put up points and rebounds if he plays. And so the guys ahead of him are Christian Wood, and they also acquired Daniel Tice. But like we talked about earlier with John Wall, I just don't think those guys are going to be playing 82 games this year. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys is even dealt at some point. There's going to be plenty of minutes for him, and I think he's going to put up the raw numbers, kind of like he did in Summer League. He's a guy that vacuums up rebounds and he scores in the paint, and I think that leads to you putting up the requisite number of raw stats that it takes to make one of these two teams. So kind of as simple as that. And that, yeah, that's why I have him on my second team. And, and so the player on my second team who might be kind of a, a, a sleeperish dartish guy is Usman Garuba. And that's okay. really, I thought about it'd be hard to put both of them on second team, you know, yeah. with, the Rockets rotation, but um, Shingun as a talent, like you said, very enticing, uh, has plays where he looks great. And he just, he looks like, you know, by the time this guy's 25, he's going to be one of these playmaking hubs, Sabonis, Vucevic, Jokic, yeah. just sort of in that realm of where you can run real offense through him. But um, and if they don't trade Christian Wood and he's there the whole year, then I think that the Rockets might play Garuba a little bit more because Garuba 
is sort of the defensive savant, whereas Shengun is the offensive savant. And that might be able to complement the higher usage guys on that team a little bit more. So me taking Garuba is basically me saying that he's going to play more minutes than Shen Gun. His body is a bit more advanced, though Shen Gun's isn't isn't terrible. Um, both are accomplished overseas players. Both have played in pretty high level pro leagues. Uh, Garuba's case, very high level. And um, I, I if. If Shingun ends up outplaying him, then I think he'll make one of these teams. I just Garuba is my pick. So yeah. I can elaborate on that too, but that, no, that's that, where I came down on that. That makes sense. I mean, this is kind of the difference is it's a bet of who you think comes off the bench first between those two guys. You see it as kind of the better fit, and I think that definitely makes sense. But I, I just think that when Shingun's in, he's gonna be a lot more prone to just putting up points and rebounds, which is what they look at for that second team. So that's just kind of my bet there. But that'll be interesting. Another thing to keep track of, which of those two bigs, those rookie bigs, plays more this year? Because, mm-hmm. to be frank, whichever plays more is probably going to make the all-rookie team, I would think. Um, did you have one more guy then, I think? Yeah, I'm just double-checking here. So my yeah. second team that we've talked about, Giddy, Davion, Evan Mobley, and then I think Garuba are the only ones I have mentioned um, would be the other MVP of Summer League, uh, Cam Thomas. And okay. I, I, he is a guy that I know that you and I have a, a bit of a disagreement on. But Cam, in my opinion, is one of... I mean, five might be conservative, but one of the five best offensive or five best offensive players in the draft, maybe one of the three best offensive players in the draft. Um, and, you know, he went to Brooklyn, which is as yeah. good of an environment for offensive talent as there is in the league. And the question there, of course, is, you know, this is a guy who excels most with the ball in his hands, getting buckets and putting up numbers just that's what he's done his whole life. Would the Brooklyn Nets who are trying to contend ever take the ball out of the hands of one of their stars and give it to Cam? You know, are they really going to give minutes to a guy who hasn't shown a lot of good defensive tape yet, to put it mildly? He'll get minutes because those three will all probably miss game. If they do, and that would be my expectation, then eventually Cam's going to get a look and he... Um, I just think he's a very special offensive talent and he's going to have shooters all around him when he's in, he's going to have plenty of media scrutiny because, you know, if, if Brooklyn's on some TNT game and they have two of their stars out and cam plays 25 minutes and scores 20 points, then people will be talking about him. Um, I admit that there are, there are lots of other directions in this draft to go for these slots and so this is me maybe trying to speak this into existence a little bit. Maybe he averages, you know, four minutes a night and plays most of his games in the G League. I just believe in him so strongly um, and had him 10th on my board that I could really see it all all linking up for him. And, you know, just I could see a world where he's on the first team, frankly. That's how talented I think he is. But I'm I'm trying to... <laughs> Yeah. Trying to talk myself down a little bit. I already said that Trey Murphy could be a star, so I'll just <laughs> I'll be nice and conservative and put Cam on the second team. But that's that's my case for him. 
Sounds good. Yeah, at the very when we started with kind of the history and our thoughts at the beginning, I was going to use Cam Thomas actually as an example of a guy that can certainly pile up the stats and is talented enough offensively. I just didn't see the opportunity or minutes there. Like I personally wouldn't have guessed that he would have averaged more than like 7 to 10 minutes per game this year and I think a lot of games he might play in the G League kind of like you talked about. But you do bring up a good point that those stars aren't going to be probably playing every game, whether it's injury or just rest. So we'll see. I think that's the question. If he plays enough, I think he'll put up the stats to make it. If he does end up playing a lot in the G League and doesn't play much, then because they did add Patty Mills, too, where he's kind of like the more experienced, better, older version of Cam Thomas almost. And so that would be kind of his role. I don't know. I just don't quite see the role or the usage or the opportunity for him, but you could certainly be right. No. And I mean, your position on it is the more logical position because not, I mean, I've lost track of all the guys that Brooklyn signed because they've signed so many, but it's going to be hard for Cam to, to crack the rotation. It's really just me believing just that he's just going to blow people away with his talent and that they'll find a way to get him on the court. But yeah. Yep, that's fine. You should believe in who you do. That's that's what I do. That's what chucking darts is about too, right? So I mean, <laughs> you gotta you gotta stick with the brand who that's you believe right. in. That's, All right, that's... so we're gonna keep track of from this episode. We're gonna keep track of Jalen Suggs' stat line this year that we had a little bit of a difference on, and which of these rookie bigs from the Rockets ends up kind of being the guy that plays the most. I think those will be interesting things to think of. And Chuck, I'll have to have you on after the season, at least. I'm sure I'll have you on maybe before then as well. But to revisit these predictions, see how we did and who we missed out on. But thank you so much for taking the time today to join me and to talk basketball. Sam, it's it's always a pleasure, man. And if anyone wants to check my my stuff out, I'm at Chucking Darts on Twitter. It's the Chucking Darts NBA podcast. Uh, the episodes I did with Sam were two of the my favorites that that we've been able to do so go check that out it's it's ranking the 30 best prospects from the last three drafts combined you know zion went number one and everything went you know bonkers from there but it was a lot of fun this was a lot of fun Uh, i can't wait to do it again yep go check out his podcast wherever you get your podcast and so thank you chuck and thank you listeners for tuning in Betting on the NBA or the NFL does not have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and also Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. 